Welcome to CCC's podcast series. I'm Christopher Keneally for Velocity of Content. It's Friday, January 20th, 2023. Today, as we do each week, we check in with Publishers Weekly on news from the world of books and publishing. Andrew Albanese, PW Senior Writer, joins me today from New York City. Welcome back to the program, Andrew. Hey there, Chris. Andrew, this week, PW reports on how independent booksellers in the U.S. have managed over the three years since COVID-19 appeared and changed everything. Yeah, a really great report this week from my colleagues Edna Waka and Claire Kirk and Natalie Oftebeck, who note exactly that, that it's been nearly three years since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic. And they report that independent booksellers are have this sort of general feeling that things are more or less returning to some semblance of normal. Now, I just want to personally emphasize right up front that COVID is still very much with us, something I'm sure our listeners also understand. You know, and it was just a few weeks ago, a good friend lost his brother, who was only 50 years old, and a bookseller in Washington, D.C., by the way, to complications from COVID. Tragic. So while we're going to talk today about getting back to normal, I just want to say right up front that we clearly are not out of the woods yet. And I don't think anybody should feel the pressure to feel like things are back to normal or are normal. Wear a mask if you feel something is risky, right? You pay attention to your surroundings. Call your doctor if you get sick. The therapeutics are pretty powerful these days. So just for me to you, please just still be careful. And with that personal <laughs> public service announcement out of the way, uh, back to the report, which really is decent news for indie booksellers. And our listeners may remember just how worrisome things were uh, when it came to the health of indie bookstores at the outset of the pandemic, right? We were really concerned that, you know, three months of a business shutdown, however long it was going to be, was going to really doom them. But generally speaking, indies across the country are reporting similar trends, and that is the return of customers to indoor shopping, which has led to good not remarkable, but good sales gains over 2021, and that the online ordering, which has become had became so popular in the early days of the pandemic, that that's fallen off. People are coming back in the stores, and then of course you've got those books that are being promoted on TikTok, which are bringing in younger customers, which is also a positive trend. And one other thing that it was notable in the piece too is that a lot of bookstores report that they're hosting in-person events again. Uh, it's still modest in many cases, certainly not at pre-pandemic levels, but that's that's also a good sign. Is the expectation, Andrew, that 2023 will see a return to normalcy then for booksellers? I think that's right. You know, some semblance of normalcy, at least I think that's a good way to put it, because there still is uh, quite a ways to go here. But it really is encouraging to see the return of shoppers to physical bookstores. Uh, and, you know, there's been some notable positive shifts for booksellers in 2022 that I think are worth mentioning. One is that the the ABA, the American Booksellers Association, uh, reported a record number of members in 2022. Also positive, Barnes & Noble began opening new stores in 2022, and they expect to open as many as 30 new bookstores in the coming year in 2023. Uh, of course, Barnes & Noble is now private, so, so we really don't know what's going on with those numbers. But under the leadership of James Dunn, you know, I think it's probably a welcome development for publishers to hear positive news coming from the chain. Uh, and of course, Amazon in 2022 announced that it was closing all 24 of its physical bookstores, uh, basically giving up on its physical bookstore program that was launched back in, I believe it was 2015. Uh, and according to the Census Bureau, total bookstore sales through October, uh, the last month that we've got so far, uh, through October of 22, were actually up 7.5% 
over the comparable period in 2021, this following uh, two years of declines. I think the hope is that bookstore sales will return to and hopefully exceed 2019 levels. And yeah, there's a bit of a twist there, right? As publishers hope that their sales are going to stay way above 2019 levels, while bookstores hope that they can just get back to their 29 levels uh, you know, and start to peel back sales from the online sector. And that same report has data on the recent holiday selling season for many bookstores across the country. Yes, yeah, some good reporting in the piece, including comments from our, our friend Mitch Kaplan, the owner of Books and Books uh, in Miami, and of course, the founder of the Miami Book Fair, who notes that sales last year were up 18% over 2021, and were actually comparable to the years before the pandemic. Kaplan said he could see a shift with, you know, people are feeling more safe and more comfortable in shopping spaces. And he also noted that younger shoppers in particular were back out in good numbers, uh, which he says, and I agree, is a good omen for future generations of readers. At Greenlight Bookstore in Brooklyn, a bit of a different story. Sales were actually down 8% for the year compared to 2021 and down 16% for the holiday season. Uh, the Greenlight management team pointed to the lack of big books and also to economic anxiety due to inflation and job insecurity, which really is hitting cities uh, like New York pretty hard. Uh, also, Greenlight's Flatbush store, which is in a residential neighborhood, saw really high sales during the pandemic when people work from home. Hey, you're at a lunch break. Why not hit the bookstore? But those sales have softened as workers are returning to their offices. So another interesting twist there. Their online orders, I should note, also dropped significantly compared to last year. Uh, and we should also point out that it was pretty damn cold in the week leading up to Christmas this year, like single digit cold here in New York. So it wasn't exactly great shopping weather ahead of the holidays here. Uh, holiday sales were up at Boswell Books in Milwaukee, this according to owner Daniel Golden, uh, as they were for Prairie Lights Bookstore in Iowa City, where the store's three top sellers were Michelle Obama's The Light We Carry, uh, Barbara King Solver's Demon Copperhead, and Louise Penny's World of Curiosities. Iowa City reports the return also of in-store author events in May, noting that only two of the store's top 10 bestsellers in the year did not involve author events. So I think a pretty powerful statement about the power of author events. Uh, as we talked about last week, uh, the TikTok phenomenon is proving to be a very positive trend but not necessarily for everybody. Another interesting piece in this report, one bookseller told PW that with some publishers turning so much attention to these TikTok titles, the mid-list titles or debuts or books that are not exactly TikTok friendly are having a bit harder time being discovered. Uh, again, to me, this is just another reason why indie booksellers are so important. You walk into the store, somebody's there to help you find the right book for you. And of course, you know, as a couple of people noted in the report, again, I'll go back to the economy, which does remain a major question mark. You know, I think a big question in 2023 is whether inflation and the threat of an economic recession is going to put a damper on book sales. And of course, there's price increases too, right? For which for hardcover books, you have to admit there really isn't much room to increase prices. When you're looking at $30 for a novel already, it gets pretty steep, one bookseller told PW. Uh, you get much beyond that, and people are going to start to say, yeah, I'll just wait for the paperback, or I'll get it on my library wait list. So some good news and some challenges for indie booksellers as we start to come out of the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. And as we approach 2023 with a little more hope that things are going to start to return to some semblance of normal. And, you know, that's pretty much the definition of normal, I think, for indie booksellers. A little good news and a couple of challenges, 
rinse, repeat. And 2023 has opened well, in fact, royally well. Yeah, thanks to Prince Harry, whose memoir sold nearly 630,000 print copies in its first week on sale. This is was the report to NPD Bookscan. Not a bad start to the year. But even with that blockbuster, unit sales were up only modestly, about 1.4% over the same week that ended January 15, 2022. But sales of Spare, Prince Harry's memoir, were not enough to keep unit sales in the adult nonfiction segment from falling slightly. They were actually down about 1% from a year ago. This, of course, all comes on the heels of the opening week of the year, right, where print sales actually declined about 1%. But that was actually billed as good news for publishers because that small decline, that 1% decline, actually beat expectations. This after what's really sort of we know now to be a rather disappointing holiday season that was off by about maybe 8% from 2021. And, of course, because 2022 was one of the strongest Januarys on record. So that created a bit of a tough year-over-year comparison. Uh, We should also offer another note of thanks to Colleen Hoover. Uh, We've talked about her quite a bit on this show. She continues her best-selling run. And then we should also talk a little bit about the January 6th report, which is selling but reportedly underperforming previous reports like the Mueller report. But all in all, uh, I think a decent start to the year. Still, I think it's really hard to predict where things are going to go this year. And in New York this week, Andrew, the Digital Book World Conference returned for the first time since 2016. Karini Panza, Brazilian children's book publisher and new president of the International Publishers Association, gave the keynote for several hundred attendees at the Sheraton Hotel in Times Square. And listeners may know that we have our show featuring an interview with Karini Panza available for their listening. Yeah, in her remarks, Panza said that the main areas of focus for her two-year term, which started on January 1, are going to be on collecting data to get an objective baseline of what's happening in the industry, uh, a new beginning driven by data, Panza said. And as she noted in her talk, the adoption of digital publishing practices, both in production and retailing, very wildly across the globe. In Japan, for example, uh, Ponza said that digital audiobooks account for a whopping 35.8% of total revenue of the book market. I just found that stat to be astounding. While they represent less than 1% of sales in other countries with large book markets, such as Mexico and Colombia. And part of Ponza's message was about making books more accessible to more people. Uh, She noted that with uh, its population growth, Africa offers a big opportunity for publishers to reach a growing audience. And meanwhile, she also talked about the disabled community, where publishers really need to focus on making more of their books born accessible. Uh, You can read more on Ponza's talk on the PW site. And of course, You can listen to Ponza's talk with you, Chris, for what lies ahead uh, for IPA in 2023. The strike by staff at HarperCollins, one of the big five trade publishers, shows little sign of resolution anytime soon. Yeah, there's a story on the site this week, on the PW site this week, the company's unionized employee strike is now the longest strike in the union's more than 80-year history at HarperCollins. Uh, Our listeners may remember the walkout began on November 10th. And while it has put the traditionally low pay and long hours for publishing workers on display, the action is also proving to be a pretty tough road so far. Now, look, we've talked about before, publishing is generally a low-margin, low-paying business. Uh, We've talked about it on the show many times before. And, And it's not just the majors, but it's the smaller publishers as well. And as my colleagues report in the story, most in the industry, including agents and authors, want this dispute with HarperCollins, the the strike to be resolved and resolved quickly. 
but it's hard to see what's really going to change at this point. Now, what we know is, according to reports, the union is holding out for a $50,000 a year annual minimum salary, while I think Harper is at $45,000 uh, annual a year currently. And I'm just going to state the obvious here. That's really not a lot of money across a handful of positions to bridge that gap, right? So I don't see why that is a huge sticking point. Uh, there are other issues, of course, including diversity efforts and a desire to change the structure of the workplace at HarperCollins, which is currently an open shop, meaning that employees don't have to support the union either, but you know they still benefit from the union protecting the, their employment. Uh, I think what HarperCollins is looking for is for uh, not for HarperCollins to be a union shop, but at least for an agency model where, you know, employees who aren't part of the union can pay a fee to have the protection of the union. But as of January 18th, uh, unionized employees at HarperCollins have now missed 50 workdays. That's how long the strike has been going on. Uh, within the company, employees told PW that they're frustrated by the actions of management, specifically the lack of communication from management about the dispute. Uh, and others told PW that the dispute is creating a tough environment in the office, uh, even for non-union employees. And it appears that News Corp officials are simply ignoring the union's overtures, though a, a January 17th statement from a HarperCollins spokesperson said that negotiations have been undertaken in good faith and that they invited the union to, quote, come back to the table. You know, I just have to be frank here. I'm not seeing what breaks through here anytime soon, right? You know, the union insists its members are committed to seeing uh, this through to a resolution, which, of course, is a fair contract. But it's hard to see what's going to change the state of play anytime soon without some major escalation and pressure. And I don't know where that escalation and pressure comes from. Anyway, you can read the piece about the HarperCollins strike on the PW site. And you know, I'm just going to reiterate one point that I think the piece gets at, which is that the publishing world is watching here. And whatever comes, you know, even if nothing comes for a very long time, is going to have implications uh, for the publishing workforce for sure and for unionization in the publishing industry in the years to come. So certainly a story to keep an eye on. Andrew Albanese, Publishers Weekly Senior Writer, thanks for joining me on the program. My pleasure, as always. Coming up on Velocity of Content, in The Reasonable Robot, Artificial Intelligence and the Law, Professor Ryan Abbott argues that a society like ours should abandon discrimination in copyright law between AI and humans and instead develop innovative legal principles to benefit human well-being. Last year, we saw a real paradigm change in the ability of these generative models now open to the public online to make art and literature and images and text at scale in ways that have value to people using it in all sorts of activities. And so while these kind of legal issues have been really around a long time, they have just suddenly picked up a real commercial importance and people who weren't looking at it before are now thinking carefully about it. Instead of encouraging someone to make specific creative works, you may be encouraging them to build systems that make creative works. And the more value those works have, the more you're encouraging people to build these systems and build systems in ways that are really going to make creative works in ways we can't now. A copyright reboot for robots, next on CCC's podcast series. That's all for now. Our producer is Jeremy Brisky of Burst Marketing. You can subscribe to this program wherever you go for podcasts, and please do follow us on Twitter and on Facebook. You can also find Velocity of Content on YouTube as part of the CCC channel. I'm Christopher Keneally.
Thanks for listening.